You're listening to the winning literary show, Off the Shelf Books Talk Radio, live with host Denise Turney, author of the books Long Walk Up, Portia, Love More Over Me, Spiral, Love Has Many Faces, and Rosetta's Great Hope. Turn up your dial and get ready for a blast of feature author interviews, 411 on book festivals, writing conferences, and so much more. Ready? Let's go. Good morning out there and off the shelf land. I want to, before we start, first, good Saturday morning to you. I want to start with this thought as we wait for our guests to dial into the show. And this thought is from Brian Tracy, and it is make your life a masterpiece. And don't you love that? Make your life a masterpiece. And again, welcome to our Saturday, July 11th show last Weekend, I was visiting with family up in Knoxville, and oh, the fireworks. What a wonderful, wonderful treat with the fireworks. We are still waiting on our guests to join us this morning. I always, this is something that I learned from off the shelf. You got to be ready to roll with come what may. You never know what's what happens in people's lives, but I always have to be ready to present a good show. So, again, I want to say welcome to this Saturday, July 11th. Off the shelf, and thank you for joining us. We do have a wonderful uh, guest for you when the guests arrive that we could share things about their book. And their book is actually based on some real-life events, and I think you will really enjoy hearing their story. But before we get to that, I wanted to ask you how good of a mystery sleuth are you? Do you think you can finger the person who's, Responsible. There's a murder mystery in the book Love Pour Over Me. Do you think you can you can finger that person who's responsible for the murder mystery that cloaks Raymond and his friends' lives? There are these there are these five guys. They meet in college at a school in Pennsylvania, and they th- this is a rare male friendship book. Uh, that's it's not really just about the their friendships, but I rarely read books where men are doing positive things and you can see them being friends for life. I actually worked somewhere where a, a, a guy, he and the friends they met in college, they would get together I think once or twice a year. Sometimes they go skiing. Sometimes they do different things, they go fishing, different things. But they had kept their friendship going for over 30 years, and I just think that is fabulous. So that's what happens in Love Pour Over Me with these guys who meet in college. But do you think you can finger who's responsible for the murder mystery that cloaks Raymond and his friends' lives. And also another question for you, how much do you you value relationships and love? For example, how long would you wait to experience a -a once-in-a-lifetime romance? You're only going to get this once. The kind of romance that can open you up to brilliance and insight and really help you to awaken. And this is a type of relationship that maybe only a few thousand people and a generation get to enjoy, or just a few million out of billions, how long would you wait? And would you wait as long as Raymond and Brenda? Would you think it was worth it if the love you wanted didn't come right away? I really encourage you to read Love Over Me. Really, really encourage you. And your deep-seated beliefs, desires, perceptions about romantic love might surprise you. There's also a complicated father-son relationship, but the relationship between Raymond and Brenda, they are just truly meant to be together. And his friends, you will love this story. If you don't see it on the shelf, just ask the clerk 
to order it for you because Love Pour Over Me is carried by the largest book distributors in the world. And it's available in ebook. You can get it at Barnes and Noble. You can get it at Amazon. You can get it at ebook. It. You can get it at my website at chistel c h i s t e l l dot com. Again, that's c h i s t e l l dot com. So this is where I normally go and say, and now our phenomenal guest is. But I'm waiting for our guest to arrive. So what am I going to do in the interim? If our guest does not arrive in 30 minutes, uh, we we will end the show early today. But I want to thank each of you who who have tuned in and who are catching us. And I always thank our loyal listeners who tune in to Off the Shelf every single Saturday, going on 16 years, you guys. So this, this, this morning I'm going to share, a, I'm going to do some book readings. Uh, to share this with you. So I'm going to read from a book that's sitting on my table, Long Walk Up, and I thank those who have bought a copy of Long Walk Up. It's selling well. It's a, it, This is a book you probably could read in, in less than two hours, uh, two hours or less. So it's an easy read, but I think it's a powerful, poignant book, the story. And it's a story of a little girl. She's an orphan in Africa, and she's orphaned when she's six years old. Now, this sounds Odd when if you live in a like the United States or some different parts of the world where you don't see children uh, living on their own, making it on their own at the, those young ages. We do in the United States, of course, see kids. You know whether they run away from home because it's not safe at home. They leave at fourteen, fifteen, sixteen years old. That that we know about, but not like a five or a six year old. But there are kids in different parts of the world. They get out and make it on their own, starting. At very early ages, I would have never believed this, but I was watching a Joyce Meyer. Uh, it was something on her years ago, and she was talking about how we help people in other countries. But we just have to be careful when we do that. I saw a show yesterday on the downside of charities. Sometimes we we give to other people almost to where it hurts their economy. So if you if if they if they uh, harvest rice and we keep sending them free rice. We can t- put their farmers out of business, which is not good. So we, we have to be careful when we do charities. And also the message that we have to give to certain people, like you see Africa is a, is a huge continent, huge. And it's there, there probably are no more richer natural resources anywhere in the world than Africa. There's gold there. There's just so much surplus there. But all the images you see of it are of poverty. Africa is is massive. It's not all impoverished, and so that you can create that image that if I don't help these people, they are they won't know how to help themselves. But that's not true. That's not true. So anyway, we have to be careful when we do charity work that we don't put local farmers out of business and lo- other local merchants out of business because we keep shipping in free products or or real low cost. We put the, re- the the local retailers out of business, and now everybody's dependent on this big, this other smarter country. We gotta be careful that we don't do that. But while watching this show, I saw a little girl. I think she was five or six, and she was with her brother, and she might have been six. And they literally would sleep on fold like unfold a cardboard box, tear it apart. That was like their mattress. They'd sleep on that. Then they'd get up and they. 
I don't know if they would collect tin cans or what they did, and they get paid, they get some money for it. And her brother might have been like eight, and then they would do it again until you know, just go from day to day to day until you make it, until your adulthood. Uh, no parents, and I, 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 don't, I think their parents have passed through the AIDS, but no parents, no relatives, and you make it. And this happens in, all over the world. It's hard to believe when we live in our comforts that there are kids that young doing what 30- and 40-year-olds do in other countries. So this little girl, Mullican, in Long Walk Up, she is one of those types of kids. She she uh, has to get out and make it on her own, but she also has a decision. The little girl I told you about in that real life, uh, what I saw, that story on TV, I don't think she had a choice, but Mullican has a choice. Uh, and 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 we'll see if she makes the right choice. So I'm just going to start um, at the very beginning. So Long Walk Up is a work of fiction, and although the book was read by people who have lived in Africa, uh, and although it was researched many facts, particularly in East Africa, it's not it's not based upon any single tribe or community within within Africa, but the story itself. The story it is itself, and it is with the spirit concealed within these immeasurable truths that we bid you to begin the long walk up. And here's a quote from an African proverb, however long the night, the dawn will break. However long the night, the dawn will break. So chapter one, section one, chapter one. Malaria, its feverish demands unrelenting, its grip firm took more people from Gowati, Africa, than starvation. The disease settled into the region like maggots gone into dirt, and indiscriminately attacked toddlers, adults, newborns, and elderly with nausea, diarrhea, painful swelling in the joints, and inability to digest the scent, the scant food that remained on the wind-swept terrain. Three months had passed since a significant rainfall watered sorghum, maize, and other major crops, and when rain did come, it seemed to only feed the malaria. The last of the healthy livestock, the noise of their pounding hooves going like log drums over the plain, the beat of their collective heart rushing toward escape deserted the area weeks ago. Animals that hadn't moved were gaunt and fevered. Their bodies lay against the earth. Meat from their dehydrated limbs lingered as a gift to be consumed by the men, women, and children after the meat was purged with fire. Flames from the fire jumped and swayed the way the woman did during Mesco, Ethiopia's two-day festival that had been celebrated for more than 1,600 years. Mesco was a day that was filled with exploding colors, music, laughter, mouth-watering foods, and yellow daisies bunched together, then burned in commemoration of the discovery of the crucifix, the cross upon which Jesus was crucified. A discovery whose root remained inscribed in the book of Tefert. In the plains, spittle and polluted river water with feces and urine floating across its top frequently served as a replacement for mother's milk. Too malnourished to produce food for her newborn, it was all many a mother had to offer her child. Mothers whose breasts produced milk were given alpha status. Babies took turns at their full sagging breasts that were reminiscent of large coconut being swayed around, passed around at a noonday meal. Alpha mothers were given first choice to sit beneath the drab shade of the achaya trees. They were first to walk, their feeble knees struggling to carry their scrawny frame into the muddy river. They were first to drink from and bathe their children in the same polluted water. Its flow ebbing toward the Gihon in southern now. No one knew that mosquito larvae, which became the insect that injected them with malaria, was the single bite incubated in the water, in the river. 
Community members stooped in the cool water and hid their shoulders beneath the surface from the scorching sun. The fiery red star that stood amid more than 100 billion other stars is the largest object in the galaxy. A star that seemed to point its rays directly at Gowati, sending temperatures soaring beyond 120 degrees. Days later, malaria swept through the region as if carried on the end of a broom. It took with it mothers, fathers, siblings, friends, an ability to see a way out of the death hole that spanned 30 miles. Here in Gowati, no smoke whirled out of rooftops. Strong scent of coffee was absent from doorways, except for the occasional flames moving away from burning meat. Nothing in the sky hinted at life. Five long huts made of bundled grass, sticks, and mud sheltered the community from heavy rains. Yet temperatures soaring and rains forsaking the area. Adults and children lived both day and night beneath the acacia trees sprawled about the plain. They had lived beneath the shade of the trees for several months since the rain stopped falling. Technology had not yet found its way to this plain. Bikula, the community leader, served as com- compass, tall and stout. Bikula, his skin darker than the cocoa Ethiopia, served the international community, told his followers determinedly that what he saw was all there was. He spoke of memories of how life used to be when he was a boy admiring his father's inner focus. Decorated spear, quick hands, and swift feet. A time when cocoa, sorghum, bananas, maize, wheat, barley, teff, and millet populated Gawadi to overflowing. Until as a boy he thought the produce would go on forever, waiting tall and healthy like the grass to be picked. His father's heroism worked at power stronger than blood into Bikula. Faithful to his offspoken commands, Bikula's followers needed his memories. At the edge of the plane, toddlers clung to the backs of their parents as if hiding from death. Human skeletons protruding at the joints the way boils bob above the surface of ocean water cover the earth. The souls who once lived in these bones, who once sent bodies dancing, walking, running, and soaring with passion long enough to make more babies that would die at the fierce blow of malaria and starvation, made the area heavy. Even without the bodies that once held them, the souls could not get free. They put a weight in the area where the skeletons lay that could be felt, a weight that was thick like plastic sticking against hot skin, a weight that made it hard to breathe. Tylers walked around the bones, their collective gaze locked on the fleshless joints. Farther away from the tylers and seeking the lightness of laughter, older children joined hands and sang songs. Their voices rose with mirth high above the trees and extended far beyond the plain. Mulligan is Mulligan. A short and inquisitive girl with knots on her elbows and knees and a belly as swollen as her mother's had been when she was nine months pregnant with her, sang loudest. When playing games or hunting into the dirt for bugs to eat like candy, Mola could endure the scorch of the sun longer than any other child. She was one of the children whose parents and siblings, two sisters and three brothers, physical existence died to the bite of hungry male lions, heat, or the malaria. Now one took her into their kin group. She simply mixed in with the other children the way paper blows into trees and grass on a windy day. When her mother's body went to the malaria, Mulliken started sleeping on the ground at the end of an older girl's feet. When no one kicked or shooed her away, she called that place at the end of the older girl's feet aqua or home. Last night, several hours after Mulliken's mother died, pygmy kingfishers, small brightly colored birds, Mulliken's mother used to leave insects and crumbs of food for, sang from the top of an acacia tree. Before daybreak threatened to light in the sky, the pygmy kingfishers flew out of the tree. With each flap of their wings, the birds took higher elevation until soon they were gone from the plain. The weather was balmy, the moon white. It was as if the heavens were thanking the community for letting them take Mulliken's mother back, back into the sky, far above the trees, the moon, the stars, everything 
the community could see. Yards away from the tree, the pig, pygmy kingfishes once perched in, mosquitoes circled the mound of dirt where Mullican's mother's body lay. A sizable distance away from the dirt mound, Mullican, her eyes heavy with sleep, her mind burdened with loss, saw an apparition. The vision was so clear and potent, it was as if Mullican's spirit draped her petite body with fatigue, the way a surgeon stilled a patient's body with anesthesia just so it could operate. Dark went across the sky. Mullican's limbs were heavier than they had been hours ago. Her chest rose and fell in a slow, methodic rhythm. Her ch- it was then her spirit showed her what she would never see with the eyes filling her head. The eyes her mother told her were sweet brown. The head her siblings laughed about, pointed at and pronounced, Sana Kubwa. Her mother stood at her side. Not a hint of malaria showed, shadowed her. She was strong. She whispered, Mullican, you are a triumphant teacher. You will lead a nation. Then, like death itself, the bitter fixation that took her mother away from her, the vision was gone. During the burial early in the day, the men in the plane, their painted bodies long and thin like the sticks they carried, moved the dirt over Mullican's mother's body. Filling the hole they dug hours before, the hole Mullican's mother's body now lay at the bottom of. As the fire-hot rays drenched Mullican's skin from the sun would seem to be pointed right at her, the dance, the sway, the dance, sway and singing of the woman who stood so close to her she felt her skin pushing into hers while her mother's body was being buried. It all drained Mullican. She drifted into deeper sleep with ease. The further fatigue carried her into sleep's portal, the tighter disbelief grabbed at the vision. A dream, a dream, Mullican told herself while she moved away from spirit talk, the flutter of her eyelids slowing. When the sun shone in the sky and the vision seemed to make believe, Mullican shook off sleep and called her, Mother! Sadness covered her like a heavy blanket. Mother! She called. All that came back to her was the sound of dirt blowing across the earth. She lay in the fetal position. She was six years old. Her life filled with so much pain she forgot how to cry. But that's what she felt like doing. I'm going to stop there for just a second, and uh, I want to share a few tips. I want to share a few tips, and then I may come back and do another short reading from Long Walk Up. And then we're going to sign off for today because we are almost 20 minutes into our show this morning. So I wanted to share a few tips with our And I hope I don't lose those who want to continue with the reading because I will continue a little bit more with the reading. But I just, when I do off the shelf, I like to make sure uh, everybody gets something from the show. Um, And we have readers and writers and uh, uh, all different types of people who love story and and look for inspiration and, and, and advice and tips who tune in to off the shelf. So this COVID 19, I'll be. Excuse me, I will begin with that. It's changed so much, particularly as it regards going to life in person events. I know I had scheduled to go to an event in Alabama, and a lot of writers, you know, you, you line up your events. Maybe around October you start working on 2021, or last year you started working on 2020, and a lot of events just got postponed one one or three times, and then uh Maybe just canceled altogether for 2020. So how can you still get your books in front of um, readers? A couple of things. You could do some Amazon ads. You could create an Amazon store, run Amazon ads. Just make sure you, you 
checking on how your keywords are performing. And also with those ads, it generally takes, I'm told, give it two weeks to see. You can really see how they're performing. Uh, when they first kick off, they might come off really slow and then start to pick up. But the, you could do that. And an, another thing, blogging. I have had a lot of success with blogging. But you don't just want traffic from your blog. You want it to people click over there. So in your blog, uh, leave a link for for readers to buy your books when they finish reading your blog and pay attention to how many of those clicks you get. Social media, uh, uh, you can do scheduling through social media. You could also go work with teams that uh, they'll do social media marketing for you, and they may have 50 people on their teams. And that that's just that much more of a push. Uh, online radio, you do radio shows and mention your books on those. Not just your own radio show, but there are so many podcasts and online radio stations. But I recommend that you check the station to see how much traffic have other shows gotten, how much traffic have other listeners gotten. Because if it's just one listener, uh, I'm not saying don't do it, because if it's something on YouTube or a podcast that people can listen to the archives as much as they want, you can start out with just – 10 listeners, and then over the course of a year, you could well have hundreds and hundreds of people who heard your interview. So those are just some ways, blogs, online radio interviews, uh, um, taking out ads, social media, even if you have to work with a team on social media to market. Those are some ways to get in front of readers, to continue to connect with readers, uh, writing guest posts at other uh, websites that are very popular and get a lot of traffic and make sure you include your your website URL, the titles of your books, and your byline, uh, as well as hopefully getting paid uh, for, for, the, for your writing as well. Those are some ways that even during the coronavirus, COVID-19, you can still get out in front of people and uh, find new, new readers, connect with uh, existing readers, newsletters is another way. Find new readers, connect with existing readers, and continue to grow your book reading and your book buying market. So now, uh, sharing that sharing that tip, uh, and, and feel free to email me or message me. You can find me on Facebook and Twitter, Denise Turney. I'm DT Writes on Twitter or Denise Turney on Facebook. I'm on Instagram. Feel free to reach out to me, and you can share. Do you have tips that you would like me to share with uh, our listeners about ways they can um, people can get more out of promoting and marketing books with this COVID nineteen? And I just remembered I want to give a uh, a shout out to one of our uh, somebody who we're doing like a cross promo with. So writers, if you're looking for editors. Writers, if you're looking for editors, please check out BreakingRulesPublishing.com, and that's B-R-E-A-K-I-N-G-R-U-L-E-S-P-U-B-L-I-S-H-I-N-G.com. Again, that's writer. If you're looking for writers, if you're looking for editors, check out BreakingRulesPublishing.com. BreakingRulesPublishing.com, and that's another way. Uh, now that I'm thinking about it, that's another way to get out there in front of. Um, in front of other uh, book buyers is to do cross-promotions. Do cross-promotions. You can do them with other authors. You can do them with maybe a book club. You can do They're just different people who you can do cross-promotions with. So I encourage you to do those as well. Let me see if our guest 
has just joined us this morning. Good morning. Is this rolling? Good morning. Okay, not sure who who that was. They didn't answer on the line. So what I'm going to do now is I am going to do a little bit more of a reading from Long Walk Up this morning. So when Mulliken's people, and then I'm I'm now, I started on page 5, I'm now on page 11. When Mulliken's people arrived at the plain in Guwati, Ethiopia, Africa's oldest independent country, all of the adults bore a deep tribal marking at the center of their forehead, a marking made with the searing edge of a sharp knife. Now, these, this this story, in part, there was a woman who went on to become Africa's uh, first woman president. But this story, these like these communities I'm talking about, these are fictional names of communities. The events have been researched and studied, some of the traditions, but like Gawadi, I made up, that's a made-up uh, name. In Ethiopia, when they first arrived at the plain, the grass was green and leaves on the trees were full. The land, though flat for miles except for one steep lone hill, danced with acacia trees, yellow daisies, purple dolichos, and pink orchards. Since the men were herdsmen, cattle, camel, and sheep huddled at the edges of the plain. Occasionally, a few chicken chickens clucked their way into the area. Within hours of arriving to the plain, the men erected the grass, stick and mud huts, which the women filled with hand-carved cooking utensils and floor mats for sleeping. The river was clean. It gurgled while it moved over the rocks, decorating its bed. Wadded, waddled ibis, obsidian long-call, pygmy kingfishers, and yellow-throated seed-eaters flew across the sky. The sound of the loud beckoning calls echoed throughout the area. At that time in the plain, a thing called malaria, a disease that globally claims one child every 30 seconds, did not exist. Babies laughed and cooed. Men came over the hill with deer, hen and a rare buffalo hosted on their strong shoulders. They carried enough food for the community to feast on for days. All the mother's breasts gifted their children with milk. Then suddenly the rainfall ceased. Temperatures escalated, water muddied, and flies and mosquitoes swarmed the river and trees. Dead ancestors coming back to settle the score, women said, blaming the brutal weather change on angry ancestral spirits caused forth by mean miscrafted in the hearts of a few unforgiving men in their community. Men who struck their wives and children until they bled, men who kept their brows furled and tight. As if spooked by the mosquitoes, the cattle, camel, and sheep moved in herds across the plain. The last time Mulliken saw the animals, they were ascending the steep hill that seemed to go on forever. Mulliken stood gape-eyed and watched the animals go over the hill. She wanted to go with them. Even now, away from the people who sat beneath the acacia trees, Mulliken stood at the edge of the plain, staring at the hill. What are you doing? The color dreams of his father fading, his brown eyes dreary, his body yelping for food that could not be found, called out to her. Moving beyond his four wives, he leaned forward and examined the mulligan. She upset his peace. Yesterday, when her mother died, he expected her to fall into another mother's arms and weep. She didn't. He watched her. She didn't cry once. This morning, she smiled and played with the other children. It was as if she didn't know her father died nine months earlier, crumping in a ball after he returned from hunting, his liver and kidneys surrendering to a heat stroke, or that her mother died just the previous afternoon. 
Mama Kim wasn't like her mother, a woman who had been inconsolable for several days after her husband's death. The day her husband died, Mullican's mother refused comfort. Three weeks later, two of Mullican's brothers were mauled by hungry male lions. It was then Bikula instructed the people to gather their belongings and prepare to move. Grass was being eaten up by the sun. It hadn't rained in three weeks. Having seen this cycle of lack, Bikula knew waiting to see what would come of the land would ensure doom. The community covered 10 miles before they located an area populated with lush trees. They remained a month until swarms of mosquitoes chased them out. Before they left, Mullican's mother, Mullacali, beginning to attach to her with these departing kin, buried her remaining sons and two eldest daughters after malaria snatched them from her, taking them one by one back to the earth. The women searched for roots in the underbrush, but nothing but death took the fever away from Mullican's poor siblings. Two weeks later, the community settled in the plain where yesterday Mullican stood next to bare-breasted women, her head brushing their knees, while she watched her mother's body go back to the earth. Bicola wondered what would come of Mullican. He regarded her as if she were a book that, if he studied enough, would bring him wisdom. He made note of her conversation, ill-timed laughter, and body language. He measured her responses to life events against those of the other children. The way she dealt with the loss of her family intrigued frightened him. He began to think there was something sinister about her. It was as if she welcomed suffering, played and laughed with it, made it one of her invisible playmates. What are you doing over here by yourself? Just as Mulligan went to turn, Bicola was up upon her. She felt the heat from his body hovering against her back. What are you doing over here? Mulligan knew she could be punished, sharp blows coming down upon her shoulders like heavy logs. She didn't turn and face him, yet she kept her back to him, watching the heel. He followed her, pointing finger then laughed. Silly girl, he said, then he turned and walked away from her. She didn't move except to lower her arm. Come on, he demanded, still with her back to him. He responded by rushing to her side and grabbing her arm. She grimaced while his long, dirty fingernails dug like thick, sharp pins into her skin. She didn't move. With a hard shove, he freed himself from her and stormed across the plane. He knew the group of women and lashed out at them for not watching after Mulligan, for not training her to be a good woman. Feeling the sting of embarrassment his harsh words brought them, residue of spit that had flown out of his mouth while he shouted at them, yet on their faces, two of the women stood in near Mulligan. One to their side, they slapped her face several times hard, then grabbing her arms and squeezing them so she could not gain freedom. They dragged her back to the tree where they had previously rested. The following morning, two days after her mother's burial, a strong wind that blew against and tumbled tree leaves brought Mulligan courage. It woke her with its shrill whistling. No one else stirred. Mulligan was light on her feet while she hurried across the plain, her gaze fixed on the hill. Sound of impending rain covered her footsteps. She knew the community would awaken soon. Morning wrestling them away from the serenity of sleep. Cooler temperatures and the hint of rain would decorate their faces with smiles. They might not look for her straight away. She almost sang while she ran down the hill. Well, I encourage you to get a copy of Long Walk Up. You can just you can find it in the online offline Long Walk Up by Denise Turney, Long Walk Up Long Walk Up by Denise Turney. I encourage you again to get a copy of Long Walk Up by Denise Turney, Long Walk Up by Denise Turney. You can get it in ebook or print. 
finish reading Mulligan, little six-year-old Mulligan, what what comes of her. I'm telling you, it is absolutely astonishingly amazing what comes of this little girl. Long walk up by Denise Tony. Please get a copy today, and I'll see you back here on Off the Shelf next Saturday, 11 a.m., our, we have no idea what came happened to our guests. I lift our guests up in prayer. I thank you for being here with us this Saturday. No matter what happens in your life, even the unexpected, such as what happened on this show today, always be prepared to keep moving forward with grace. We don't know why things happen or what happened. So I, I send you blessings, and as I always tell you, you are amazing. You are incredible. You are awesome. Go out and create a fabulous day for yourself. See you back here next Saturday at 11 a.m. Bye for now.